Combo Nation, man. Another episode for your earphones, for your car, wherever you listen to Combo Score, man. Combo Nation, what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 276 of Combo Score. And I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't already, punch down on that subscribe button. Don't forget to share this episode, man. Share it with a friend. Share it on Twitter. Share it on LinkedIn. Share it on Facebook. Share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Tell a friend to tell a friend about Combo's Court Podcast. Appreciate you all. Today's show, man, change of pace, change of pace, but I can't wait for you all to hear it. Michael Easter, author of The Comfort Crisis and professor at UNLV, joins in to talk about his book, The Comfort Crisis and more. A fantastic conversation. You could find Michael on Instagram at Michael underscore Easter. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L underscore E-A-S-T-E-R. Or you know you could find me on Instagram, as I said earlier, at one two combo. That's O N E T W O C O M B O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Michael Easter, author of The Comfort Crisis, professor at UNLV. Welcome to Combo's Court, man. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you having me on, man. It's great to have you on. I can't wait to talk comfort zones, comfort. Uh, you wrote the book, The Comfort Crisis. In today's day and age, people are leaning into conveniency. They're leaning into comfort. I think it's a problem as well, but you seem to think it's a crisis. I do think it's a crisis. I mean, when you look at the data, it's kind of overwhelming that as society has become much more comfortable over time, especially in the last hundred years, I mean, think of your average day. It's like, how often are you really challenged uh, physically? And, you know, everything has become a lot more easy and less challenging. And you look at the data and it's like pretty overwhelming that this is not good for our health. Um, not just physical health, but also mental health. So things like, you know, depression and anxiety, they're higher than they've ever been. We know that humans need challenge to thrive. Things like uh, over 70% of the country is either overweight or obese. And this is largely because we've engineered movement out of our days and our food system is set up around, you know, super calorie dense comfort food, more or less, and on and on and on. For me, it's weird. Like if I don't get uncomfortable, I don't feel comfortable, if that makes sense. Like if I don't have a workout, I can't even like enjoy my comfort. Yeah, I think, well, I think that that speaks to, I think a lot of people have a need to be um, challenged, humans yes. do, but we also have this drive to be comfortable. So when you think about as humans were evolving, we lived in these super challenging, uncomfortable environments. I mean, literally everything took effort, right? You had to hunt and gather for your food. You were always exposed to the elements. So if you had this drive to stay safe, 
to avoid risk, to do whatever would be most comfortable, you would live on and spread your DNA. I mean, that's basically the, the point of life, more or less. And um, once the world started becoming really comfortable, well, we now have these drives that tell us to always be comfortable, but we're in a totally different environment where it just take, it makes things so much easier. So uh, if you want to get dorky about it, evolution, uh, anthropologists call this an evolutionary mismatch. So now this sort of drive we have is definitely backfiring. You work out often. I work out often, but for somebody, I mean, you're a professor. So if you're talking to somebody, I want to work out, right? The person tells you they want to work out. You go to the gym with them and they're like, but this is hard, but you know, but I don't want to do it like this because this is hard. How do you actually explain it to them in a way that'll make them realize that getting out of your comfort zone is a good thing? Yeah. So I would start by saying like, even though you and I work out, I mean, when you compare like what we do, what do we do in the, the gym? Like even gyms today are set up in a way that is a lot more comfortable than physical activity would have been in the past. Cause in the past people didn't work out. Right. It was like, they just lived life. I mean, when you go to the gym and you look around, there's like, maybe 2% of the people are really out their comfort zone, you know, while they're working out. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, we go on this like elliptical, it's air conditioned in there. And it's like, we pick what, how much weight we want to lift. We do it for some like predetermined number of sets and reps. When we're done, we go sit in the sauna. So it's like, we're having to engineer this thing back into our life uh, that we used to naturally have to do. Um, And so I would tell people who don't want to exercise, you're totally normal. In fact, that you and I are exercising, we are the weird ones. Because here's the thing, evolution uh, wired humans to avoid any extra activity. In the past, when, because there wasn't enough food and life was hard, it didn't make sense to, to move more than you needed to in a day. Like it just didn't. If you would have liked doing that, you would have died off. So nowadays, it's like we're having to falsely figure out how to weave this back into our life. But like, we have all these drives that for millions of years served us and told us, no, just, you should be as lazy as possible. And so I think it's like, I think for someone who is going, well, I know I need to exercise, but I hate it. Like, yeah, that's, that's totally normal. So, but you got to accept that. It's like, we have to do a lot of in life that we don't necessarily want to do, but it serves us well. Like I didn't want to go to school when I was eight, but I had to go. Right. I don't want to do my taxes, but I have to, because if you don't, we also know that, um, a lack of fitness is one of the number one drivers of chronic disease today. So what's most likely to kill people today is heart disease and strokes. Those are number one. Uh, number two is cancer. You go down the list. Fitness is often the number one way to avoid that kind of stuff. Yeah. Speaking of working out, the more uncomfortable workout you have, you often feel better after those than like the light ones, you know? Totally. Well, I, I mean, so my background is I worked at, I still write for men's health a lot, but I was on staff there for a lot of years. And I mean, I always, I've always said, I never regret a workout like ever. Right. There's never a time where I'm like, man, I wish I would not have done that. It's like, hundred you're, you're always glad you did. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I want you to take us back to your trip in the Arctic. What did you learn? And was that some of your motivation for the book? Yeah, it was. So, I mean, I had made this observation early in my career that anything that really improves human health, it usually comes with some form of discomfort. So back to exercise, like we just talked about, even dieting, if you want to lose weight, you're probably going to be hungry. Then um, I meet this guy 
His name's Donnie Vincent through my work. And he's this backcountry bow hunter and filmmaker. Goes into like the world's craziest, most remote areas for like months at a time. And he invites me up to the Arctic. And, you know, because of my background at men's health, like I'd embedded myself in some pretty extreme gyms. I'd been forced to do some, some hard physical things, but I get up there and it's just like way different than I anticipated in the sense that like, I am out of my comfort zone in so many different ways. Like we are carrying 80 pound back, uh, packs on our back the whole time. Every single thing takes effort, like getting water for dinner. We had to hike down to this stream bring it back up to camp. Uh, it's freezing cold the whole time. The terrain is like the worst thing you could ever imagine walking on. We're also hungry because we pack, we could only pack in like 2000 calories a day. Yet we're burning like six to 8,000 calories, even like silence and solitude in nature is just totally different than what we face in the modern world. But when I got back, um, I was like totally transformed in every way. I mean, I, I was like 10 pounds lighter, uh, fitter than I'd ever been. And more importantly, it just felt like the, like my mental, physical, even spiritual health was like moved to notch 11, you know? Yeah. And I kind of wondered, well, what's going on with that? And then I could notice, oh, like my world that I'm in now is so unbelievably comfortable in every single way. And yet this is like diametrically opposite the world that I had just got back from in the Arctic. But that type of uh, rough and tumble lifestyle where everything takes effort is, is what humans evolved in. So I could see we probably had these drives that weren't serving us anymore. And to sort of figure out, okay, well, what are the downsides of comfort? This comfortable world we live in, are there any in the first place? And if there are, like, what's the best way to sort of get out of your comfort zone. And so I started just traveling the world. Uh, I met with people like doctors at the Mayo Clinic, researchers at Harvard, special forces soldiers, uh, Buddhist leaders in Bhutan, geneticists in Iceland, just all over the place. And I read, you know, thousands of studies, all this kind of stuff. And I'd say all the, these people and the resources I read sort of showed me in their own unique way the benefits of sort of reinserting these evolutionary discomforts back into your life. So, you know, the message of the book is don't just haphazardly go do something that's uncomfortable because that's just kind of like, you know, some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. It, there's really like a handful of things um, that we faced in evolution that still really serve us today, but that we've engineered out of our lives. So the book is sort of a guide of like, how do I figure this stuff out and put it back into my life? So did you have any contact to the outside world while you were out there? We had an emergency beacon in case the shit hit the fan. And, okay. um, but no, it was like the pilot would, you know, the, so what happens is you take a bunch of successively smaller flights to get up there. So, you know, for me, I live in Las Vegas, so I have to take this, you know, big jet to get to a smaller jet, to a smaller jet, to a smaller jet. Eventually I end up in this little town called Kotzebue, Alaska, and it's above the Arctic circle. It's got maybe 2000 people in it. And, um, from there you take, uh, what's called a Bush plane, which is a plane that seats at max four people. And you fly that out into the middle of the tundra The planes have these big ass tires on them that allow them to just land on the ground. And then from there, another plane came that only seats two people. Cause the area we were going couldn't like, you couldn't fly a four person plane in there. Uh, and then that drops you off. Like 
hundreds of miles from civilization. So it's obviously dangerous, risky, um, but we were in contact with the pilot because, you know, we had a certain set like pickup day, but he would also monitor the weather and be like, Hey, like I might have to come early because there's a blizzard coming in, or I might have to come later because of X, Y, Z. So that was essentially our contact there. So did just the uh, letting go of the smartphone, uh, not being around social media, did you feel benefits for that? Oh God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we're hunting up there. Right. And, um, part of hunting, uh, we're hunting caribou and they're migrating. So part of that is you're just waiting for them to come through. So we'd sit on this hill for like hours, hours at a time, because they weren't coming through. I didn't bring up my cell phone. I mean, I did, but it was just a camera. So I would just keep it off. I didn't bring up books, magazines, any of that stuff. I was totally removed. Um, wow. not just from my cell phone, but also from all the other million forms of media we have today, right? No TV, no computer. Even what we're doing right now. <laughs> Even what we're doing right now. No right, right. information coming through my ears. Right. So what's interesting is that you look at the data, the average American now spends 11 hours a day engaging with digital media. Now this stuff is so unbelievably brand new in the grand scheme of humanity, right? It's, right. it's all less than a hundred years old. And uh, once we adopted it, I mean, we went all in, right? Because it's stimulating. Um, but being sort of reintroduced to boredom up there, like all of a sudden I find myself bored because I don't have all this stuff. Well, it turns right. out that boredom is this evolutionary discomfort that basically tells us, look, whatever you're doing right now, you don't have that much of a return on your time. Like it's not, it's not serving you anymore. So boredom is essentially kicking the ass saying, hey, go do something else. It's going to improve your life. So back in our past, this would, this helped us survive because it would be like, oh, you know, this hunt isn't, isn't working out. You got to go do something else to go get food or X, Y, Z. But nowadays we've engineered these super easy, effortless escapes from boredom into our life. So we don't necessarily have to think up interesting things to do that will improve our lives. We just can do the easiest thing and just pull out our cell phone and go on Instagram and look at, you know, some sort of video. Um, and because we spend so much time on these screens, these, these sort of machines that are engineered just to captivate us, it's associated with, you know, our increases in anxiety and burnout and just like feeling like your life is just moving and fast forward because everything's so fast paced. So in the book, I talk about, you know, we spend so much time telling people don't, don't be on your cell phone so much. It's like, yeah, of course but everyone gets that. But the problem is, is that when we only focus on cell phones, we miss out on the fact that people actually spend more time watching TV or on their computer. When you look at the numbers, it's still, it's really, still, screen, it's still screen time. Yeah. It's still a screen. Your brain doesn't know the damn difference between the screen on your phone and the screen on your computer. It doesn't. It's the same thing. So people will often, you know, Oh, I use my phone less. It's like, okay, well, what'd you do instead? Well, I watch Netflix. It's like, okay, that's, that's not working. So I advocate that we need to reintroduce boredom back into our life and just get totally removed from it in, in different ways. And I'm not saying like, give it all up. Cause that's totally unrealistic. And the stuff is amazing. Like it's, it's freaking amazing, but we do, we've sort of tipped too much using it to too much and we need to introduce boredom back into our life. Yeah. I guess, you know, all these things have reasons, right? Why we feel bored, uh, uncomfort. I mean, we always, we always think, 
comfort good, uncomfort bad, boredom bad, but there's reasons for all of this. Yeah, exactly. This is all, I mean, most of the stuff, um, most of these discomforts we used to face in the past, they, they served us. Boredom told us, hey, like what you're doing right now is it's not worth your time. And if you don't go do something else, there's a chance you may not survive, right? Feeling uncomfortable in exercise. That used to tell us like, you're just burning calories right now and we don't have enough calories. You shouldn't do this too much. Hunger. Hunger sucks because it basically says, hey, you're going to feel bad right now because you we need you to get some calories in your system. And when you do, we're going to reward you. We're going to take away this form of discomfort, et cetera, et cetera, on and on and on. Yeah. Screen time is something I think about every single day. Like it came to a point where I just, when I see two people having a conversation without their phone out, like I'm really happy. Like, I'm like, this is great. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of sad in the same sense though. Right. Like that I'm getting happy about that. I know. Right. I mean, I think that like with cell phones for me, it's like there, there's people in labs at like Stanford and MIT that literally just sit around thinking, how can I make this thing more, they don't use the word addictive, right? But it's like, how can I get a person to spend more time on this damn thing? That is their entire job. 100%. We don't stand a chance, right? So for me, it's like, I want to put myself in positions where I just don't bring my cell phone along, where I'm totally removed from it. So I'll do things like, I'm going to walk every day outside. Just don't bring any electronics around. If I'm at dinner, like your point, just like, don't bring your cell phone. Because the minute it buzzes, you're like, Oh my God, I wonder what that is. And it's like, you can't not take it out, right? I think the biggest one is bed. Don't bring your cell phone to bed. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, uh, and having that, um, even just like being exposed to the light from a screen before bed can seems to upset people's sleep patterns, which throws off all kinds of other health stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not as you are, and I'm not anti-technology at all, but I would say that when I'm using social media, I'm trying to produce more than I'm trying to consume. Like, that's my big thing. Like, I don't want to be on there scrolling all day. Yeah, totally. Totally. And there's, I mean, look, there's, there's amazing stuff on social. Like, you know, like you just said, it's like, you can find great stuff. You can connect with people. You can find information that improves your life. I mean, what we're talking about right now, someone listens to this and they alter their behavior in a beneficial way. Well, that's awesome. But it's, again, it's just the fact that it's become our lives and we need these moments of slowness, of removal, et cetera. Yeah. And one good thing about podcasts, you don't have to be looking at a screen. That's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> All right. So I want you to tell me more about the nature pyramid. Yeah. So there's this, uh, so I'll I'll start by saying, so when I'm in the Arctic, you know, it's, it's super dangerous up there. It's freezing cold. There's grizzly bears everywhere. And you would think that I would be like the most anxious I'd ever been in my life. Right. Cause this is like super dangerous. Well, the opposite is true. Like, of course I had moments where crazy things would happen and I'd have spikes in stress, but overall my stress levels were the lowest they'd ever been. I just felt like more connected, right. Just kind of thinking on a different wavelength. So I get home and I travel to Boston and I go meet this girl whose name is Rachel Hopman. And she studies this concept called the nature pyramid. And it basically is like the food pyramid. But instead of saying, you know, eat this many pieces of bread or rice and this many pieces of meat, whatever it is, uh, it tells you how often you should spend in what type of nature. So at the bottom of this pyramid, uh, it says you should spend three days a week 
for 20 minutes at a time out in any nature you can find near your house. Now, this is stuff like you could find in a city park, right? Or like on a really tree-lined street. That doesn't now, seem like enough, Michael. It's right? well, it's amazing how much we've we've been removed from it. Because All right, so you, you're right. Spend you, like, yeah, yeah you, we spend 95% of our time indoors now. Right. If so it's like, more than what you were doing before, it's great, right? Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. And this is associated with uh, a lot lower levels of stress and increased focus. Now, the next step on the pyramid is five hours a month, which also really isn't that long, but in more, a little bit wilder nature. So this is stuff like you find in the state park where it's like, you know, not in downtown Manhattan, you might have to get on a train or something and go out of town to, you know, a little bit wilder. And that's associated with a lot less depression and increased happiness. And then at the very top, which I think is most interesting, is basically this idea called the three-day effect. And it says that after you spend three days in more backcountry nature, like this is the wilder stuff, uh, your brain starts to ride these different wavelengths. So in the modern world, our brains are constantly riding what are called beta waves. And these are really like frenetic go, go, go waves because we're just we live really crazy lifestyles now. We're exposed to screens all day and you know, we have so much information coming at us. Uh, but in the wild, after three days, your brain starts to ride what are called alpha waves. And these are the same waves that are found in experienced meditators, like people who've been meditating for years and years and years. And they seem to like reset and revive uh, your brain. And they're associated with um, lasting levels of uh, decreased stress, increased calmness, um, increased creativity, which is really interesting. And just feeling like, oh man, I, I feel really good, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's only after three days and you have to, and you can't bring your cell phone along. If you uh, start using your cell phone in any of these that I just talked about, just brings your mind back into the quote unquote, you know, modern world and out of nature. So you got to leave your cell phone. Total transparency. I never like spent three days in the rainforest without my cell phone. Maybe I should try it, you know? You should do that, man. <laughs> and here's the thing. It's like for a lot of people when I'm like, yeah, three days in the back country, they're like, not a chance in hell I'd ever do that. But here's the thing is even doing something like an Airbnb that's in it, like, that's kind of in the woods, like a cabin that can work for people who just the idea of like sleeping in a tent is just way too intimidating. Yeah. So you know, as I said earlier, I mean, you're a professor, you're talking to somebody, how do you get them to get off their cell phone a little bit more? Like, is there something that you like any advice you would give them? Uh, like I said before, I think it's just, you just got to like remove it. And I, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, connecting the idea of less, uh, we know that too much time on your phone is not great. We also know that nature is really good. So yeah. this is why I think, going even something as simple as like an outdoor walk in nature without your cell phone is great. Now, at first it's going to be uncomfortable because people are so used to being stimulated all the time. And, you know, one of the reasons that we don't go outdoors anymore is because it's not as predictable as indoors, right? Our brains love predictability. It's like, we don't want to be hot. We don't want to be cold. We don't, we want to know what's coming next, you know, and Nature is either too hot, too cold, too wet, too dry, right? We don't know what's going to happen. Um, but once we sort of get over that discomfort, it's really calming and, and satisfying. And I think that people, once they, once they get to the other side of that, they go, oh, there's really something here. 
you know, and then they'll start to integrate it more into their lives. Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. There's just not enough emphasis on these problems. Like there's no, it's not a priority. You know what I mean? Like you don't see it on TV. You don't even see it on social media. You don't really see it anywhere. How big of a problem this is. Obviously we had the social dilemma. We have your book, Mm -hmm. but I think we don't have enough of it. Yeah. And I think that too, a lot of times in society, we frame things as silver bullets, like this is the one thing that is causing all your problems. And here's the one solution where it's like, no, our lives have changed so radically from the past that, I mean, there's like 50 things causing your problems that are leading to one big problem of like, I just don't, there's something's off, you know? I mean, that's everything. Like if you become great at something, it's not because of one thing too. Right. It's always, yeah. Totally. Totally. And even with, I mean, you even see this, you know, I know you basketball, um, you even see this in sports. It's like, there'll be some trend in like training or whatever. And then people will think like, oh, that's the secret. Like I was watching, this isn't basketball, but I was watching the UFC fights over the weekend. And one of the guys is doing like this breath training where he's like breathing through his nose. And like, he thinks that like, this is going to be the secret to his fighting. It's like, he's a really good fighter. But then he's saying like, oh, I'm going to win because the other guy's breathing out of his mouth. I'm just like, no, you're going to win because you've put in like, you've been training eight hours a day and fighting and lifting like this breathing thing probably isn't going to hurt you, but it's not like the secret. And that's what we're always looking for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, if you just folk, like, let's say a, a young basketball player only does skill development and never plays basketball and never works on his body. It never gets the mental side of the game down. He's just working on drills all day. I mean, it's not that one thing. It's a, it's a combination of everything that makes you great. I agree with you. And it goes the other way with it. As you're saying, it's like, it's a compound effect. That's basically what it is. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because like, I mean, you think of someone like LeBron James and um, he gets into all kinds of weird training stuff. Right. And so people will be like, Oh, he's doing this weird exercise. Like that's the thing. And I'm going to do that for two hours every day now. Yeah. (laughs) Or he's got some weird diet. Like you see with Tom Brady, where it's just like, it's kind of wacky. Right. But I think really that that kind of seeking, you know, this weird out there stuff is more a function of the type of mind it takes to get to that level. Like they're not good because they do these things. They're good because they are so freaking obsessed and yes, that obsession yes. leads them into these weird avenues and that feeds back into their wins, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, when they're doing these weird things, they are trying to get out of their comfort zone and they, exactly. stay, there, they stay there for a little bit. They see, does this work? Is there something to this? Maybe not. Maybe I won't stay in here. Maybe I will if I'm uncomfortable and it's making me better. Michael, great stuff. You're always welcome back, back on the show. Where can we find the book? Where can we find you on social media? Yeah. So the book is, uh, it's called the comfort crisis. It is available everywhere. Books are sold. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookshop probably has it too. And then on social, I'm at, uh, Michael underscore Easter. I'm on, I'm most active on Instagram. I'm also around on Twitter. And then I got a website if you want more information too. And that's eastermichael.com. Michael, thanks so much for taking the time. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Anytime. There it is, another episode of Combo's Court Podcast. Punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Thank you to everyone who listens to the show across the globe. And big thanks to Michael for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, rate and review the show wherever you listen to Combo's Court. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, leave a five-star rating and a comment. Would be great to hear all of your feedback. 
Also, man, share this episode with a friend. Share it on social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories and tag me at 1-2-COMBO. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. If you listen to this podcast, if you enjoy this podcast, join in as a Combos Court Patreon member. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Appreciate the continued support and be on the lookout for episode 277. Combo out.